Hello, hello, and welcome back to the podcast. We are gathered here today to talk about the tragic comedy that is my life story. (laughs) It's going to be a fun one. We're going to get really deep, though. I think I'm nervous laughing a little bit. But it's one of those that's going to ask a lot of unpacking. Ask of a lot of unpacking. So... I guess I'll start at the very, very top. My childhood was in a little white home in a little town called Art City. And I had a mama and a sister and a girl dog. It was just girls, always. My parents got divorced when I was a baby. And so it was just us and it was fun. I was a mean kid though, and no one believes me when I tell them that, but I was evil. I would lock my sister in her room and for hours and hours because the door, the lock on her doorknob, for some reason was put on the outside of the door in the hallway. And so I would seriously just lock her in there. The minute my mom left the house, I would sneak up. And she would scream out her window, someone please help. And she'd always have to go to the bathroom because she'd be in there for hours at a time and just scream out her window for help. And no one ever came. (laughs) And then she decided to tie yarn to her doorknob and tie that yarn to her bedpost so that her door wouldn't shut unless I cut the yarn. But for some reason, I never thought to cut the yarn. So... She had me off her back in that instance. But I have a lot of other stories, crazy things I did when I was little, I was mean. And other than that, my meanness, it was a really, really lovely childhood. I played a ton with neighborhood kids. I had a trampoline that my sister and I would always jump on every day, all day. She was a gymnast and she would teach me all her cool tricks and When she'd get mad because my legs would be all spaghetti, she'd say, no spaghetti legs, and tie my feet together with a rope. So I guess she was mean back sometimes. And it was just funny like that. Yeah, we lived in that tiny little house, and my room was yellow, sunny yellow. And Maddie, my sister's room, was blue with white clouds painted all over it. I loved Care Bears and Scooby-Doo, and in the mornings, I thought it was a race, whoever could wake up the earliest. And so I'd always try to wake up early and beat everyone. <laughs> and then I would go downstairs and sit on our big red couch and watch Scooby-Doo till my mom w- woke up. That was my childhood in Art City. We moved to Ohio for a little while when my mom was married to Paul, this lovely, lovely guy. And I went to this really neat school. I'd gone to charter school up until then. And then when we moved to Ohio, we lived in a town called Hudson, which we didn't know was a very, very prominent, well-off town. And so we just lived in a very middle-class neighborhood and it was odd because our middle class neighborhood was the 
poorest one in the whole town. Everyone else lived in mansions. It was crazy. And, like, we didn't care. I don't think anyone really... I was in fourth grade, so no one noticed or cared my age. Maybe it was a little different at the high school, but... The craziest part was that the schools were so wealthy that they had separate schools for every two grades. There was one building for first grade and second grade. One or I mean kindergarten and first grade, one for second and third, one for fourth and fifth, a middle school and a high school. The high school was humongous. It had wings, like E-wing, B-wing, a greenhouse wing, all these fancy things, a huge library. It was gorgeous. And I remember their team was called the Hudson Explorers. And when my sister would have volleyball games, I would just wander around the high school and explore the high school. I was a little explorer. In my little fourth grade school, fourth and fifth, was so big. We had two courtyards, a swimming pool, all of these things, just crazy things, and beautiful grounds, beautiful everything, ramps in the school, playrooms. It was so, so neat. And it had once been a high school, and then a middle school, and then our school. And that's why we had all of those fancy little rooms and such. But we would spend half of the year in PE in the swimming pool learning to swim, and the other half of the year in the gyms, doing rock climbing and unicycling and jump roping and all of these fun, crazy things. It was the funnest time ever. I loved it. I loved going to school there. Then we moved back. We only lived there for about eight months. And so we moved back and back to my charter school I went with all my friends that I'd grown up with. It was same old. It was fun. It was nice to be back. And then we moved to a little town next to our city where... I lived in a little community where all the houses were about five feet apart. Tiny little yards and tons and tons of new families with lots of kids. Just a suburbia at its finest. And so I had this whole gang of friends. And we'd do everything together. We built a tree fort. And we would eat lunch together at school when I got into junior high and they called us the lunch bunch and our parents all wanted us to marry each other and it was just very silly and cute and suburban. Then I moved to a farm town far away, about 45 minutes away from there and maybe even longer, honestly, I don't know. It was so fun. There were only 900 people who lived there. I was very bitter at first. I couldn't listen to country music. I hated it because I was bitter to have left my little suburban paradise and my puppy dog baby boyfriend and all these fun little things. But it turned out to be probably the best thing that ever happened. It changed me a lot to live there. I I just... Uh, I found more meaning in life and more self-discovery. I was forced to be alone and to dig deeper into myself and to figure out who I was really young because I didn't have friends to lean on anymore. I don't know. I was really little. I was only in like ninth grade. And so 
it wasn't that big of a deal, but up until then, from 7th to ninth grade, I had really, really struggled with body image. And I picked up a lot of disordered eating, not an eating disorder, but just disordered eating that was from anxiety. And I'd always been a high-strung, anxious kid. Um, I struggled a lot from separation anxiety when I was really little. I had a lot of abandonment issues and just... I was terrified to ever lose my mom because she was all I had. My dad wasn't in the picture at all. And he would pop back in and out of my life and that caused a lot of harm. To constantly being... To constantly have little tastes of what it would be like to have him around and then have him disappear again. And so, I was quite screwed up and it was tricky and then I moved to the country and things just healed there. It was magic. So I lived there and we had baby chicks and I would read to the baby chicks and I would sing to the horse and sit on the fence and I would jump on the trampoline with the dogs and watch them run through the fields and I would go on three mile walks through the farms for hours and hours in the summer and ride my bike everywhere and it was so dreamy and then I was in 10th grade all my disordered eating had healed and that's when things just sort of changed I, that's when the whole thing changed. I have been, haven't been following my little write-up, my script at all. So give me a sec to get on track. Okay, I'm going to start here. I'm going to backtrack a little bit. I mentioned that my dad was in the picture growing up. And he was just not stable when I was, when he dated my mom, when they had me. Um... He was very abusive then, and he was one of my mom's many demons. There's this song that we listen to all the time, and it makes me cry. I always have her turn it on whenever we're driving through the farms near our pasture, because I, it just takes me back to a very specific time when I listen to it always and just bawl and let all my feelings out. And this song could very well be about us. That's why we love it. And it's Empty by Ray LaMontagne. There's this first verse, soft and dreamy and romantic and naive. And it says, she lifts her skirt up to her knees, walks through the garden rows with her bare feet laughing. I never learn to count my blessings. I choose instead to dwell in my disasters. And that part just captures our very similar countenances of garden girls with the skirts and the dirt and the, I imagine, flowers, the bare feet, the alone, the laughing. I can't, I, <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've held my dress while hopping the fence and running through the pasture, giggling and twirling and thrilled to see my horses. With no one there to watch but the seagulls and the mountains and my moo. And then there's the last verse. The shadow that trails behind us. Giving shade to the hot ants in the field. Well, I looked my demons in the eyes, laid bare my chest, said, Do your best, destroy me. 
You see, I've been to hell and back so many times, I must admit you kind of bore me. There's a lot of things that can kill a man. There's a lot of ways to die. Yes, and some already dead that walk beside me. There's a lot of things I don't understand why so many people lie. Well, it's the hurt I hide that fuels the fire inside me. That part encompasses the damage left from the thunderstorms. Something that I'm just starting to stumble upon. We're each a bit of a wildfire. Newly. It's as if before we were just these tender maidens, green tree and pond and wildflower-covered mountains until some thunderstorms blew in and lit us on fire. One after another. They came with thunder that sounded like heaven and rain that tasted of it too. Then struck with lightning bolts and left without bothering to douse the flames. It's as if the fires just kept starting and burning whatever we would try to build out of our charred logs. So we decided to take the opportunity away and feed the flames ourselves and keep them alive so that there would be no other fire to start. You see, I've been to hell and back so many times, I must admit you kind of bore me. That eternal flame is some other kind of beauty, more unpredictable, more untamed. We were both softies before, lovers, sweethearts, pushovers. And now, in all honesty, we've probably compromised a bit too much. Smoking out anyone who sparks a nerve, burning any man who dares come near, and losing interest in anything that isn't just what we're hungry for. I know that for me, there are walls up now, but there's a lot of hope and divine intervention at play, a lot of time and tool to break them down. If someone came along crashing through my barriers with a charming smile and wit and humor and a whole lot of other things, I'm really picky. If somehow he got through and somehow intrigued me, I know I'd stop smoldering and turn to water. I have a feeling that will happen someday. But the thing is, I don't want it for at least another ten years. I'd like to kiss a few more frog before my prince appears. Oh, the indifference, though. The irritability and newfound road rage are a whole lot worse than the commitment issues. I was a nice girl before. So nice. The kind that suburban moms dream their sons show up to dinner with. I was so sweet and happy. In fact, there was an occasion where a son went home one night after spending the day with me and collapsed himself to the floor and said, Mom, there's this girl. Uh-huh. Do you know Allie from Dairy Queen? <laughs> and his mom said, the happy girl? And he said, yeah, that one. People knew me as the happy girl, the sweet girl. The one that went out of her way to compliment and smile at strangers. The one that kept the peace. The one that could be friends with anyone. So what happened? 
accident was a series of things, the same things that happened to my mom, which makes me think that maybe there's an ancestral pattern there. Looking back on the family tree, yeah, definitely. <laughs> it all starts with the dads. Like I said, I grew up with all girls. Boys were really aliens to me. I had absolutely no idea how they worked and remember knowing that as I was at my friend's when I was six and looked at her brother who was doing something weird and thought, yeah, different species. Instead of despising them though, I was fascinated. I have always loved boys. I've always had little boyfriends and dreamt about kisses and been a romantic. And relationships have always been the center point of my life. Well, I, I think it fluctuates between that and communication and spirituality. My relationships with my mom, my friends, my little boyfriends and strangers were always at the center when I was younger. Until I was maybe 14 and started to get philosophical. Then the other half came too. The curious, creative portion. I'd say that my life from 7th grade on has simply been forgetting what I think I am and re-becoming who I was as a child. I think that's normal. But we'll come back to that later. Relationships with boys were validating to me. I wanted to feel wanted, cute, impressionable, chosen. Some issues came to the surface when I hit 7th grade and my body grew up a little. I put on the tiniest bit of tummy and thought I was an elephant. And I already kind of mentioned that part. We're going to skip over this little part in the script, but it was a very consuming. <sighs> and then when I was in 10th grade in April, the very end of April, that boy that I mentioned earlier, the one that told his mom about me, appeared. And I must say that I'm a bit bothered by in how influential his presence has been on my development. But I've tried to explain my story without a mention of him. And it just doesn't work. Because I'm a lover by nature. And he was my first love. Blech. He blew in with the wind at the exact time that everything started to fall apart. And my mom and stepdad separated. My mom was crushed. Soon we had to uproot and move out of our farmhouse. And thus began the thunderstorm reign of terror. We stayed with a family friend for a few months. Mom started working as a 911 dispatcher. When I was loving my life as the girlfriend of the star football player, blah blah. Then we moved into our new home. And things got rocky in my little relationship. The on and off again days began. And that was not fun. Over the summer, there were a couple of instances that hurt. Mom and I fought a ton. My ex-stepdad came back for a minute. They broke up again and closed that chapter. And that was kind of a healing process for her. She'd been through all that craziness in that in the year 2018 between that summer and the next summer and then 
mine kind of came around at the beginning of 2019. Hmm. Let's see, where am I? Oh, and then in October, just after my senior year began, my boy came back to Utah for two weeks. And he wasn't very sweet. He was kind of a bum. But while he was home, my house caught fire. <laughs> the timing couldn't have been crazier. We lost a whole lot of our belongings to water damage mostly. All of our ceilings caved in and mm, yeah, it just ruined it all. <laughs> but it wasn't even that hard for me. For mom, it was the last straw, the big thunderstorm, to close the rainy season. We'd lived in, what, five houses in two years? But for me, the one who had always cared more about relationships than anything else, the fire was unsettling, but not the end of the world. I remember thinking how crazy I must have been for not being more crushed. I felt scared, like something must be wrong with me. Why am I not freaking out about my, losing my home and all my childhood memories and pictures and everything? Life after that was very beautiful. Mom and I stayed with my aunt and uncle in my favorite home in the world, back in our city. I came home from work at the Dairy Queen with ice cream in my hair and danced in the kitchen with my aunt. Far too late for school nights. I drove down the mountain and 20 minutes south for school in my farm town each morning. Then mom and I moved into our apartment back in that farm town the day after Christmas. I got better at driving the truck as I went to the pasture to feed the horses now and then. It was just a sweet chapter. Things were changing. There was a lot of self-discovery and fresh energy. In the spring, I started working at the bakery, 2 a.m. to 10 a.m. a few days a week. I spent all my time on the balcony at the pasture, and once summer started, at the pool in my mom's room watching Yellowstone. The memories of that time still give me flutter fairies. I started as a nanny about an hour away and would drive there and back every morning through a gorgeous canyon. It was just dreamy. Then, just after my last day of work at the bakery, my housing for school far up north fell through. I took it as a sign, and in the last week of July, decided to stay for the semester, to continue to nanny, to stay close to my new best friend, to have more time with my mom before leaving. And on the first day of August, that high school sweetheart showed up on my doorstep, wanting to be with me. I was just about to leave to go swimming. I had my wrap dress tied around my neck over my swimsuit. When I opened the door, he was shaking from all the emotions and the anticipation of seeing me. Then, he kissed me. And we were inseparable after that. He dropped by every day after work and showered me with kisses. We'd go stargazing and swimming and camping together. 
and we were getting very serious very, very fast. Then one day, he came over, just like normal. But I could tell that something was wrong, and we broke up. That was my thunderstorm of all thunderstorms. This life that we'd started creating together, this person I'd been in love with for two years, who I'd never been able to get my mind off of, and had never been able to shake me either, who had continually disappeared and reappeared in my life over and over and over again. Keeping me charmed by opening my car door and saying, I've got this song. Then turning on feathered Indians and turning to me as he sang the first verse. He just left. This time, he wasn't coming back. I knew. Two weeks later, he was dating someone else. I remember listening to Unpack and Bounce Back and hearing... How can you promise her the world when you still haven't given it to me? And aching with that, I would wake up each day in cold sweats. I could not stop crying. And I just didn't know what to believe. I had idolized him. I had placed my foundation on him when everything fell apart. And that wasn't right of me. It was naive and young of me, which is exactly what I was. And I think it was unavoidable, it was just normal. But it definitely wasn't a good idea. Even when we weren't together, we were always in contact. Even when I had him blocked on everything, he would send me love songs. He left a note in my car. And even though I didn't receive the songs and the note fell out when I opened the door so I never got it, I could feel him thinking about me. This was different, though. I could feel his absence, that he wasn't thinking about me anymore. A couple months later, I moved to my college town, and a chain of miracles set off. Best friends appeared at my doorstep, my very first night in town, and we were inseparable. Men came out of the woodworks and took me on dates. Random guys in the street that offered to help me move in. Random guys on the street that stopped me and asked if I had plans that night as I was coming back from the gym. Guys at the gym. Roommates, brothers, friends of friends, and kids from classes. I went from having never really dated anyone that I wasn't in love with to having gone out with all kinds of strangers. I left town for Christmas and decided that when I got back, I'd look for a job. The first place I walked into hired me. That was a miracle. Now, I see it as more of a red flag called desperation because we're understaffed, but it was still divine. Everything fell right into place, just how I needed it to. Until, what does that say? What the heck? Okay, until something, it was time to take a step back and mend the broken fences. So the cows wouldn't get loose. Because they were breaking through the broken little fences. And I knew that the season of fun was over and that it was time to make some changes. I needed to quit my awful little job. I needed to quit dating. I needed to become a tarot reader. And I needed to rest. So I did all of that, 
And that's when my inner child really came through. When that youthful me, the truest embodiment of my soul, resurfaced. I was a bad bee. I didn't take anyone's crap, but I gave my own very freely. I was mean, I was selfish, I was funny as shiz, and I was a creator, an artist. But I'll tell you what I wasn't, a nice girl. And that's what I'm not now. <laughs> There's not an ounce of people pleasing in me. Well, sometimes there is, but most of the time I do what I want. And if I don't like something, I leave it in the dust. Right now, I'm flaming with my own energy. Fueled to create, inspired, and not giving a rip about anything else. So that's me in a big, big pistachio shell. There's a lot more to unpack there, but these are the events. We'll get into the emotions in a little bit. It's about 2 a.m. now. I've been awake for hours, and I'll likely record this tomorrow, but for now I'm off to bed. That's what I wrote last night. I'm going to set my little notebook aside. And now I'm just going to unpack those emotions like I said I would. Lovely. So, those are the big events. There are more. There were a lot more crazy tragedies that fell out. And a lot more drama that I think are really personal and that I don't want to mention. For the sake of other people mostly. I don't want to share their dirty laundry, but I'll tell you a couple of things. I'll tell you, let's start with the love thing, the romance that ended. I had loved that boy for so long and so much. Everyone knew they would look at me and know that I loved him and that I took good care of him. And they would look at him and see that he had got hearts in his eyes when he looked at me. Half the time, then half of the time he was just a bum. And was cold, whatever. And I guess you can probably tell that I'm a little full of resentment. <laughs> and I've never ever been angry. In my whole life, I've never been angry until this spring. And then it just all came out of the woodwork. And now, I get angry. I get mad. And not mad at the things people did. Well, maybe sometimes. More mad at just who people are. And I guess it is about what they did. It's about how they left. Or how they rejected me. Or... Those kinds of things. It's all abandonment stuff. There's a lot of inner child work there. And inner child work has kind of been poking me a bit lately. The craziest thing is that recently I've had a couple of conversations with people about inner child work. And they've said, have you done that? And I've said, no, I haven't felt the calling to. But I know that there will be a time when I feel like, okay, it's time. And I'll get, I'll get moving on it. And last night is when the calling came. As I wrote that. That's when I saw the pattern. And now I know I have a lot of work to do. On what happened when I was little. 
and the patterns that have followed that. There's a lot of work to do. And there's also a lot of work to do around the similarities between my mom and I right now. And they all root back to those childhood things and to that relationship that blindsided me. So I was with that boy and we were getting very serious. And then he broke up with me. And then he started dating this girl two weeks later. And then six months later in March of just now, like two months ago, March, they got engaged. Isn't that wild? That really, I remember laying in bed. I was at, I was staying at my aunt and uncle's house where I'd stayed after the fire with my mom. We were staying there while she was in town from California and I was going to bed. I'd just done a little reading for like watched a pick a card reading on YouTube and I saw a text from my friend and she said, Al, did you know that he's engaged? And I saw it and I felt my heart just drop because I've never quite healed. I've definitely moved forward to the point where I know that if he ever appeared at my doorstep again, I would shut the door hard. But I'm still, I'm still attached. At least a little bit. I still hurt for it. I still get really overcome with memories and emotions whenever I'm in my hometown or... I don't know, driving near his school, I, his college, I just feel all shaken up. And so that's something to unpack. That's something I want to be vulnerable about. This is the kind of stuff no one, everyone says, don't talk about this because it's very personal, but I want to talk about it. And I want to hear other people talk about it, about what hurts and what affects them. I don't give a flying rip about whatever the else is going on in your life. I just want to know about the deep stuff. And so I'm going to talk about it. My own. And talk back, please. Send me a little message on Instagram or a review of this podcast on Apple Pod. Just talk back about what you think and what you feel and what you've been through. We're unpacking. And so, yeah, I still am a little, I'm very angry. I'm angry about how awful he was to me at the end of it all. And I'm angry about how quickly he moved on and how he just didn't feel the pain because I hurt so much after. I was crushed. I ate so many pints of Ben and Jerry's. And I always wore my little black sweater and my ripped jeans to the pasture. And my big old coat. And I would just cry as I drove there and listened to his music. I would go on his Spotify and listen to whatever he was listening to. To try and get a gauge on what he was thinking about. And there were a lot of breakup songs. I could tell that he was hurt at least a little bit. But there were also a lot of new love songs. And I knew he was falling in love. While I was completely crushed. 
right after he broke up with me. There were all these odd little synchronicities. One day I was driving past his house and I missed him. And I saw someone in his car. And I thought there would be no one in there. I didn't think he'd even be home because he usually worked at that time. But I saw someone in the driver's seat just kind of like sitting really low with a hat on and it was him so I drove by and I I was like I sat there for a minute around the corner and thought oh my gosh I am crazy what am I doing and I knew I needed to drive by so I parked in front of his house and got out and he got out and he greeted me and smiled at me and he said what are you doing and I said what are you doing And we went and we talked for a long time. And he spilled his heart to me about what was going on, what he was confused about in life. Not about us, we didn't talk anything about us. But just about what was going on for him. And I was there for him like I always had been. I was just support, a support. And then I needed to go feed the ponies. And so I said, come with me. And he said, if you can hit that tree with a snowball, I'll go with you. And I missed, (laughs) but he still came. We drove to the pasture together. And I drove back to his house. And I pulled up and I said, okay, well, see you around. And he just sat in the car for a minute with his hand on the door handle. And he like turned and looked at me. And just looked at me for a second. Then he said, okay, bye, and got out and left. And later, I got home and I knew I need to text him. And so I unblocked him and I texted him and I said, hi. And I don't even remember what I said. I said something. And he said, did you get my call? And I said, what? And he said, I just called you like a minute ago. I said, no, I still had you blocked. I'd never blocked anyone in my life until him. And he hadn't ever blocked anyone else until me either. I think we just drove each other a little crazy. And then he said, I just tried to call you. I just need to talk to you. And I, I knew that that was what he did when he was about to get out of the car. He needed to talk to me. He needed to tell me something. And he told me that he really needed me to know that I was so good to him and that I made him really happy. That I was a positive, a a crazy positive force in his life. That I taught him how to be happy and how to love himself and all of these wonderful things and blah, blah, blah. And that he needed me to know that he really loved me. That none of it was fake or false he cared and I don't even remember what else happened but that did that was after this though this part was the craziest just after I found out that he'd started dating this new girl I drove to his college town to visit my friend And as I was driving home, 
I'd just been crying constantly for days. That's when I really cried, was after he started dating her. Because before then, I'd been fine. I'd been like, oh shit, we're broken up, that sucks. It was sad, but like, the way he moved on so quickly, that crushed me. So I drove to Sarah's house, and I was driving back home after visiting her for a while, and I saw him pass me as I was bawling and listening to all my music, my sad country songs. So I whipped my car around, and he pulled, I caught up to him, and he pulled over, and we went and talked in a little town called Fountain Green. And that was kind of it. I think that was the last time we talked. I don't know if that was before or after that day he went to the pasture with me. But I was so crushed. And I just remember standing outside talking to him and just being crying and being angry at him for how cold he'd been to me. And so I think that was the last time we talked. And that was just wild to be driving home and pass him on the road. He was supposed to be working then, too. But he wasn't. He, for some reason, got the day off again. The first, that time when I drove past his house, he was, he'd gotten off work early because his boss had to go somewhere. And this time, he had the day off and he was going down to his college town. He didn't live there. He lived by me, but he was driving to the college town to cut all the football boys' hair, because he cut hair. And it was just those weird little things, the run-ins. And we'd always had stuff like that. When we first met, we would run into each other everywhere. I'd go to a gas station that I'd never even been to before, and he'd be there. It was just weird stuff like that. So I felt so connected to him, like he was so meaningful, and his presence in my life had to have been significant. I thought he was my soulmate. And then it just flipped, and he left. And I think that's the only reason that I still care, is because we were so connected. And it's very, very rare that I ever find someone that I'm attracted to. And even rarer that I find someone that I connect to like that. And until I find someone like that, I don't think I'll really heal all the way. I don't think, I think a lot of people don't fall out of love until they fall into new love. So, that's a bit of crazy shiz. Ugh, disgusting. I hate talking about this. This is gross. Ew. But, I think it has to come out. Someone needs to hear this. And, it's a big part of who I am because like I said I'm a lover by nature love every romance that's significant to me will play a huge role in who I am so the next one will be the same and the next one will too but the thing is that I am so (laughs) icked out right now I just hate every I don't hate hates a strong word I just am disgusted by romance half of me is so in love with this idea of living with 
I don't know, meeting someone that I just love and adore that's cute and has muscles and, <laughs> and can cook really well because I'm an awful cook. And living with them and dancing in the kitchen and making lucky charms at three in the morning and watching, I don't know, waking up in the middle of the night and kissing and laughing and being goofy and going out in the rain or whatever, I don't know, all that cute shiz. Half of me is so in love with that and the other half of me doesn't want anyone to touch me or come near me for the sake of mm, romance just grosses me out right now. Ew, it's icky. I'm not into... I'm not into anyone. And so it just sounds awful. And that's, I've always been like that until I meet someone out of on a blue moon. A rare occasion that just is a little firecracker. And I love them. And that's why I'd never dated anyone that I wasn't in love with. Or kissed anyone that I wasn't in love with. Until this winter. Because I just couldn't bring myself to. I didn't, I wasn't attracted to anyone. I was either in love or disgusted by people. There was no in between. And this winter, I tried the new thing, the excitement. And I went from, oh gosh, the numbers are just wild. I'm not even going there. I just went from having kissed two people to having kissed a lot of strangers in a month. And that's so weird to think about. I don't know how I did that. I think a couple of the kisses I didn't want. And I just kind of gave in a little bit. But. Hmm. At this point, I'm back to the old ways. It was fun to date and have fun and be crazy and go out with all these random people but now I'm back into that swing where I just I'm so particular and so that's where I'm at now and I'm mom and I are in the same spot and I think that is interesting my nana's the same way it's all the same all of us women are just very very particular and independent and so we're very happy to kind of just do our own thing, work on our projects, travel, have fun. Nana loves to find weird little things to do, new things. She'll just go on a kick where she's obsessed with making sourdough bread or she's obsessed with crochet. And she's always loved to quilt. I'll go on these kicks where I'm so obsessed with, no, I don't go on kicks, I'm just love my big things like communication I'm always working on something like the blog or podcast or tarot or YouTube videos just stuff like that that's my passion I love that I love to read and I can do that forever I can spend my time alone so happily and it gets chaotic when I try to not be alone when I try to be this spring, I kind of struggled because I couldn't balance my time and my my time with my friends, and at work and doing school and dating. It was so much. I thrive in life most when I'm alone and I can just put all my time into whatever I'm passionate about. 
when other people come into the mix, I get a little frazzled and I just, I'm, it's hard for me to manage time. But at the same time, I'm so in love with people. I love my friends. I love my mom. I love my co-workers and my kids that I work with. I just love it. And I find so much fulfillment out of that. Like I said earlier, there are those two pieces of me, those two centers. The part that's all about inspiration and creativity and the part that's all about relationships. The friendships and the romances and the family laughs. They contradict because one of them requires me to be very alone and in my element and in my own energy and the other requires me to be around people and so mom's the same way we love our own company we're hermit crabs but we also love people i think i love them a little more than she does and i'm definitely a lot more of a romantic romance is such a thing for me i think about it all the time i'm always thinking about love just because i'm fascinated by it and i find it quite precious but i don't want it right now I want what I want is to fall in love like 50 times in the next 10 years and then when I'm 28 then I'll settle down (laughs) and until then no I want all these little boyfriends that are not significant or they are significant but, but aren't a big commitment I don't even know if I ever want to get married at this point. I'm so on a different track right now. And it's interesting and it's foreign. Because I've always loved the idea of getting married and having a partner. Very young. Growing up, I always said, I'm going to get married two days after I turn 18, just like my grandma did. Her birthday's June 20th and my birthday's June 21st. And her anniversary is June 22nd. And my anniversary would be June 23rd. But that definitely didn't happen. Praise the Lord. And so, in the last year, I've switched from someone who wanted to settle down really young. And who nearly did. To someone who can't imagine it. And doesn't want anyone to come near her with any sort of ring. It's just interesting, so there's something to unpack there. Also, those are kind of the big things happening as far as the relationship sector of my life goes. Everything's good with friends and family. I'm in the other sector right now. All spring, I said to myself, okay, I'm focusing on relationships right now. The romantic, fun, crazy ones. And then I said, okay, I'm focusing on friends. But the whole spring semester was all about relationships, whether it was dating or whether it was friends. And I said to myself, when summer comes around, my friends will have moved back home. Excuse me, I had a bubble, sorry. Or have moved to Virginia Beach to do summer sales. And so... I'll be able to work on all my other things, all the creative things. 
be able to write books and write blog posts and make a podcast and start putting pick a card readings on YouTube and do all of those fun little things. And I have, like, immediately. It's all just come out in a way that I've never done that before. I've been trying to do these things for years now, but never got into it. And then this summer started, and I just had all the energy to. And so I have. And now I'm in the creative part of life, where I'm not at all focused on relationships. And I'm very, very much focused on creation, the other half of my dharma. In my palm reading, my big extensive one, the one that touched on things that I'd been talking about for ages and that I'd always known about myself, but not to that extent, I was told that in a past life, I was very spiritual in a way that I had put relationships out like sworn myself to a life of celibacy as a nun or sworn myself to a duty of copying the bible as a monk for my entire life just stuff like that where I'd never like I'd sworn off relationships and that this life my dharma was to continue to be that spiritual presence to be a visionary and guide people and lead them and teach them to be happy and enlightened but also to be in relationships there are two halves to my dharma to be a a lover and to be a healer not a healer more like a light worker and so that's that's something to know about me in the creative aspect of my life I'm very passionate, and I always have been. People have always told me that I'm a spiritual giant and that blah, blah. I am a communicator, that I like am a, should be a therapist and stuff like that. But I've never wanted to be a therapist. I've just always wanted... Therapists teach very, very broken people how to be functioning. But I've always wanted to teach functioning people how to be enlightened. And that's what a visionary is. And so... That's why I love to do tarot readings. I love to give people insight from source. I love to connect to that. I'll probably be a medium at some point. I definitely have a lot of psychic and intuitive gifts, but there's a lot of training to come with that. I've got a lot of ground to cover because this is all very new. All of this, um, all these spiritual practices. I've always been spiritual and connected to source and been a messenger but I've never used any of the physical things like crystals, cards I've never tapped into psychic or medium abilities until January that's when this all started, it's very new so I've got a lot of time to kind of get more into that but this life isn't just about that for me my hermit energy comes from there But my lover energy is there also next to it in opposition nearly where I know I'm meant to connect to people have relationships to be a friend and a better daughter and 
a lover and a partner, a life partner. And that's kind of scary and unfamiliar for me. I'm so scared of being abandoned. That's just very, very apparent now. I don't like that. I don't want to be left. That's my big fear. But also, I want to be open and love. And that's a contradiction too. I'm very messy right now. Everything's up in the air and a little mm, mess. And that's where I'm at. That's who I am. And I'm very comfortable with who I am. I understand that I'm messy and I love a good mess. I love a good mess. So that's a little bit about me. Those are the, that's a lot about me. Those are the big pieces. And there's a lot more too. There are a lot more relationships like friendships and other things that um, have kind of gone awry. And the house fire, I think that there's, there was a lot there also. A lot of like trauma, Um, I definitely felt misplaced. All the moving around in those two years, I, uh, that's a big part of why I'm so non-committal now. Because that was like an abandonment. Where my homes abandoned me. I didn't abandon them, they abandoned me. I didn't choose to leave. It was, it was something else that had us leaving. And so... Yeah, that is a big deal. The fire really... I didn't feel the heartache for it immediately. But I saw the effects. There were lots of effects. And there have been a lot of just odd little tragedies. There are many more. But I don't think I really remember them. Because it's only the big ones that really I remember. And I like that. I'm truly a very happy person. Especially right now. Life is just so sweet. It's very easy to be happy right now. So I'll tell you a little bit about that right now. I just said right now so many times. Please excuse that. At this moment, everything's very dreamy. I ride my bike everywhere. (laughs) I may have already talked about this in the trailer episode. I don't know. I ride my bike everywhere to work and back to the grocery store and back. I work at a tumbling gym as an instructor with all these cute little kids that say the funniest little things. A couple days ago, one of them pointed to another kid who was jumping on the double mini when he wasn't supposed to be. And he said, him, him's on the double, him's on trap and him not supposed to be. And I said, him's fine. Just do your own thing. It's fine. Mind your own business. <laughs> and I said, him's. And it was so funny. It just came out. And the other coach looked at me and we looked at each other and just laughed. I was just like, him's okay. You do your own thing. <laughs> I love that. Mom and I have our own little language. We talk like babies, which I think a lot of people would find absolutely infuriating, but it's just hilarious for us. And we always say him. When we talk about Mills, he's like my little brother. And we'll be like, him is so cute. Him's a seep. Just weird stuff like that. 
I would never, uh, I think a lot of people hear it and I forget that it's unusual. So it slips out sometimes. My close friends hear it all the time and it drives them crazy. It's just funny though. And so that's sweet. I love the things my little preschool kids say and my little ones. And I love when they come and give me big hugs and they just say, I love you, Coach Allie. I love you, Teacher Mia. A lot of them call me Teacher Mia instead of Teacher Allie. Mia's my middle name. It's just so cute. And I love where I live. My little home with all its big windows and my little shoebox room that I only go in to sleep. I spend all my time in the front room. And I don't know what I'll do when my six roommates move in. Because they'll probably not want me in here all day, every day. I'll have to just go somewhere else. It's summer, so I'm in my hermit mode. During the school year, I, I'm barely home. I'm always at friends' houses, or on campus, or wherever. But this fall, I don't know what it will be like. We'll see. I just know I'll have to be out of the house a lot. Because my room is not quite the ambiance I'm looking for. It's cute though. It's just for bedtime and it's just full of junk that I need to figure out. Once I have, if I had more storage, I think it'd be a lot more manageable. And if my bed were not um, shaped like an inverted mountain, like a, what's it called? Concave? Or is that the opposite? Like a contact, the kind you put in your eye, face down. <laughs> That's what it that's what it's like and so I think if my bed were a little more comfortable I'd spend a lot more time in there maybe I'll fix that so I won't feel so misplaced but it's just so sweet I don't mind I don't mind any of it I think that with me I really romanticize all the odd little uncomfortable or even heartbreaking pieces of life I love the heartbreaks and I love the the inconveniences they're cute they're just so full of character it's dumb it's weird but i love it i love fruits i'm obsessed i love persephone i think in another life i must have been a little greek girl that loved the gods and just <laughs> worshipped them because i love the greek gods I always have, not in a Percy Jackson way, but in an actual mythology way. Like I could, I listen to little mythology podcasts all the time. And I love Aphrodite. I'll name all my children after fruit. I'm not going to tell you the names because I don't want anyone to steal them. Actually, who would? Also, I'm recording this on Sunday, May 23rd. And it's a palindrome, not palindrome, it's a 555 day in numerology. And it's the day Saturn goes, I almost said reverse, <laughs> reverse, reverse. It's the day Saturn goes retrograde, so things are really moving. I don't know, I feel like I should say that. And I love you. I don't, I don't think there's anything else to say. But this is podcast episode number two. And I'll be back with something new pretty soon. Next week.
That's all now. Love, Valley.